So the world is in a transition right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone is in some sort of a transition. The thing about transitions is if it's going to go well, then we've got to grow well. <laughs> this is so true. So in this episode of the Maripanu Life Podcast, we are so honored to take you behind the scenes and have a very candid and raw conversation with none other than the amazing Dave Hollis, who is the CEO of the Hollis Company. He and his wife, Rachel Hollis, are doing some amazing work and impacting lives literally all around the globe. And we have had an opportunity to go deeper with him regarding his new book that he just wrote and how his perspective is now really opening the door for conversations for other maritpreneurs and different positioning within the marriage and the business. And it's really good. Just enjoy, get your pens, get your papers. You may have to play this one back a few times, but it's an amazing one. So we'll see you on the other side. So the big question is this. How do married entrepreneurs like us who have decades of business building experience, how do we break through common communication, productivity, and profitability barriers all while living powerfully in sync? That's the big question, and this podcast is the answer. You see, even if just one of you is called to entrepreneurship, the family is called to entrepreneurship. No, the goal is not the almighty dollar. We're aiming for the almighty impact. What's up? This is O.L. and Sway Buckley. Welcome to the Married Pernod Life Podcast. Marriage Marketplace Ministry. Let's go. All right. What's up, everyone? This is O.L. And this is Sway. Of Married Pernod Life. This is where we help high-achieving, married, mission-minded entrepreneurs who want to generate more income, leave a lasting impact. Yes. And we are excited to be here today. We are pioneers helping other married entrepreneurs to create profitable streams of income to walk in purpose and to do it powerfully in sync and today we are so honored and just amazed to have the one and the only mr dave hollis we need some Uh, like cue cue clap track yeah You clap track, man. I'm so excited to be here, y'all. Thank you for having me. They can't see me, but I have like jazz hands for you as you're coming on the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I feel the love. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. We're going to just give everybody, if they um, don't know, I'm not sure why they wouldn't know who you are, but we're going to definitely let them know right now and um, just dive right into the amazing um, work that you're doing, you and your wife, and how that is impacting the world, literally. Take it away, husband. Yes, so... As he pulls it up. All right. So Dave Hollis is the CEO of the Hollis Company, a company that exists to help people build better lives. He is husband to Rachel and father to Jackson, Sawyer, Ford, and Noah. Together with his wife, Dave, hosts the podcast Rise Together, the number one health podcast on iTunes. Dave was previously president of distribution for Walt Disney until he left to apply his experience to the expansion of the Hollis Company. Dave is a member of the Motion Picture Academy and has been an advisor or board member of Technology Incubator Fandango Labs. Philanthropy startup gives some film charity, Will Rogers Pioneers Foundation, Pepperdine's Institute for Entertainment, Media, and Culture, et cetera, et cetera. And we must mention he does drive a 1969 Ford Bronco, Bronco. with Bronco. the... Um, with the affectionate name of Incredible Hulk. I don't know if that's affectionate and Incredible Hulk go together. But he also has a schnauzer (laughs) named Jeffrey. Yes, and and he recently just dropped New York Times bestselling book, Get Out of Your Own Way, A Skeptic's Guide to 
growth and fulfillment. I want to make sure I yes. said those in the right order too. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is very strange to have you introduce me with so many words, but I appreciate you being uh, welcoming to me and encouraging this community by just hoping to have a good conversation here today. So thank you so much. Yes. Our extreme pleasure. We're looking forward. Yes. So as, Let's get right into yeah, it. Yeah. As we were sharing with you before we press record that um, our community, married entrepreneurs, uh, we are constantly finding and it's easy to find ways to <laughs> to talk about all the different things that happen day to day. It's always like a different story. Um, so when we um, found out that you were writing a book, I was telling my husband, I think this is just such a timely message uh, on so many for so many reasons. Um, but one of them I just want to say before we even go deeper into this is um, thank you for not just like speaking about this, but publishing um, from a standpoint of a husband who is married to, you know, a, a powerhouse of a woman. And there are so many, there are so many couples that we work with. And um, there's oftentimes this different, this rubbing, you know, that happens. And you have literally, and are literally just giving a, a voice and a, um, a, like, you're a leader, of course, um, but really showing and modeling um, what a non, I would not even say traditional in that sense, but uh, just modeling your own definition of, of who you are and what masculinity can look like and still be powerful and still do all the things based on what, how you two define success. And so I just want to say thank you for your courage. Oh. Thank you for your boldness. Um, with that. So I know this is going to help and it's already helping clearly um, New York Times bestseller, um, so many people. So um, we're going to dive in. Thank you. That was that's so nice. I appreciate it. And guess what? It is a never ending journey as much as we are just two years now into doing this together. We are going to be working on how we work together for the rest of our lives. So this I appreciate that, true. but it's a work in progress. Yes, this is true. This Absolutely. is true. So and how long have you guys been married? We've been married almost 16 years and we've worked together now for about two. So we had 14 years of sharing stories of work at the end of day. We have two years of trying to find ways to still make out after sharing work together. Right. All day long. <laughs> That's so that, that part. Yeah. So good. Um, so good. And I'm so glad you said that too, because one of the things that we often talk about and just really like our mantras, one of the mantras that we go by um, in married your life is if, is, that if one of you, like one spouse is called to entrepreneurship, then the family is called to entrepreneurship because it ultimately impacts the family in some shape or in some level. Um, and because if that one person is being pulled and dealing with all the different pressures and just trying to at the same time then be there for the marriage, be there for the kids, you know, all these different things, it really is impactful. So you've mentioned really throughout the book, it's based on uh, 20 different lies that you once believed and have overcome. And I'm excited to hear that because it also gives hope to everyone else. <laughs> like, okay, wow. And then it also brings awareness, number one. Yeah. So um, you spoke a lot about transitioning. Uh, well, you may not have used that word, but you talked about the different uh, stages in your life and where you were thinking in one stage and then how your thought process changed in another. And you talked about the difference between the growth mindset and or the growth yeah, mindset and the fixed mindset and i wanted to dive in deeper with um how the different mindsets have impacted how you 
personally have transitioned, um, let's say being at Disney and then now being CEO of Hollis Company? Well, in an interesting way, my wife and I are wired so unbelievably differently, which is part of, I think, why things work as well as they do, but is also part of why friction just inherently exists because she has, from the word go, been a believer to me being wired a bit more as a skeptic. Now, her dreamer is part of what fuels the what of what we do in the business, but the what is the thing that as the how person sometimes uh, makes me, someone who also happened to have been more fixed mindset over my life, uh, worry a little bit about how we will do it or what the implication of trying something that might not work could potentially be to us if we didn't get it right, uh, having some kind of exposure financially or exposure legally or exposure for our team. And uh, we've really had to try and find a way to blend our individual superpowers in a way that amplify each of them and minimize the downside of each of them. Because for both the person who's the dreamer and the integrator, the person who's the visionary and the operator, there are there are super, super great things about each of those qualities, but they're also in extremes are extremes. And so we've spent the better part of certainly the first year of these two years of us working together with really trying to define how the lanes that we each have can be put together like Avengers come together to pour gas on the things that are working in the business. (laughs) And our, you know, our differing mindsets, these places where we came from, where she was always reaching for something new, better, different in the interest of growing is something that, man, I have like pivoted into, turned into as I am growing in my own development journey. But I find myself because of muscle memory, because of the way I came out of a work environment that was wholly and totally different than the one that we currently operate inside of, that there are times when I can fall back into the way that things used to be. Um, I mean, there, there are just so many differences. If anyone who's listening has ever worked inside of a corporate environment and then found themselves either pulled into entrepreneurship or partnering with someone that you love in their entrepreneur journey, you know something that I had to find out the hard way, which is what got me here won't get me there because I, in having had this 20 plus year experience inside of entertainment, thought since we were working inside of the media space still that I could take those conglomerate experiences and apply them to startup small business mentality. And there were plenty of things that just did not work. And so many of them were really, I was coming out of spaces where there was more trail management than there is what I would argue in a small business is more trailblazing because, and I had a team of super, super experienced people. So when something went wrong, you had someone with 20 plus years experience who'd seen that problem many, many times, knew the things that they could do levers wise to pull a solution and solve that thing quick. And here in a small business, and for anyone listening, if you got a small business and you got a problem that you are unfamiliar with your solution because of never having encountered that problem before, you're not alone. But if you came out of an environment where there was always a problem solver who could fix it on the, on the quick, then it is, it's disarming. It's, it's jarring to then sit inside of an environment where you say, oh, geez, we're having problems at a frequency that is faster than anything I've come from. 
and whose solutions are not as readily available because of having never encountered some of these things before. The person with the growth mindset sees that as the vehicle to becoming the company that you'd like to be, becoming the leader that you'd hope to grow into. A person with a fixed mindset sees that as an indictment on you not being the right kind of leader for this role, sees you as maybe someone who is going to get in the way of the growth of the business. And so at the beginning of me being in this new thing with my wife, I took personally that I wasn't able to preempt some of the problems of our business where she was seeing the problems since she'd been an entrepreneur for 15 years as the only way that we would continue to build the business into the thing we believe it to be five years from now. Wow. Wow. That's good. I'm just taking all that in. Yeah. 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 I'm just curious. So coming from a situation where you were, in effect, it sounds like you're saying you were insulated with veterans and a machine, so to speak. Um, How did that play on your psyche or the way you viewed uh, an issue or a concern or something, um, an obstacle that that presented itself in the business? How How did that play on your psyche? Um, I guess, early on? Well, I mean, I'll give you two things. One, just from a leadership standpoint, I had grown in my career over time at Disney. I had a 17-year career, started as an administrative-level person, finished as the president of distribution. A lot of growth over time. Was leading a team of a 1,000-plus people who, to a person, had more experience doing the thing that I was leading them in So the idea of problem solving as a leader of great leaders was something that was me asking a question of what they recommend the best options were to pursue solving that problem and which of the options they believed were were the best was the best and the rationale to support their recommendation. So it was a very simple thing. Hey, let's talk about problems early and fast please come to the table with the recommendations you have for how to solve this and the single most important recommendation and the rationale behind it. And I would become smarter and we would have healthy debate and we'd make quick decisions. We'd solve problems fast and we'd move on. When I came into this small group of people that were leading and scaling and applied that same logic, all right, guys, when you have a problem, (laughs) go ahead and come to me with the list of recommended actions that we ought to consider and your primary recommendation and the rationale behind your primary recommendation because they couldn't even think of two or three possible (laughs) scenarios they might recommend, not an indictment on them. We just had never traversed in this space before. They were waiting until they could think of two or three different recommendations and build a rationale behind the one they recommended most. And the problem was getting bigger. And as the problems were getting bigger, the way that I processed it as a leader was, imposter syndrome of sorts like Mm -hmm. am i really that good of a leader or was my leadership Mm -hmm. a reflection of having led really great people like am i not a person who can lead less experienced people people who are doing work outside of the competency that i have specifically and it took me one spending time with other people who are also inside of this entrepreneurial space to Mm -hmm. shed light on how normal this kind of problem solving ends up being and the different kind of leadership that's required in a small business or an entrepreneurial experience than one inside of established uh, you know traditional businesses and 
I had the gift of getting to spend time with mentors of sorts. John Maxwell, of all people, has become this amazing mentor for both my wife and myself. And he said one time something so simple but beautiful. It was that a leader never has two days, never has two good days in a row. If you are running a small business, you never have to get two good days in a row. So you have a choice uh-huh. as the leader of a small business. You can eat or, or, or just as a human, right? You can either decide that you're going to pursue small business and accept that you'll never have two consecutive good days, or you can pursue consecutive good days, but you cannot be the leader of a small business. And when you realize, oh, okay, it's a binary thing. I can choose the path of less resistance. It just doesn't exist in entrepreneurship. That gave me permission to process these failures as the price of entry instead of some indictment on me not being the right fit, not being the right person. But Again, that was, as I'm making this transition, I'm already dealing with a ton of identity stuff, leaving a job with a title at a place that people know for a work that's supporting my wife and the impact that we might have. And then you lay on top of it, leading in different places and the complexity of processing failure in different places. It was hard. It'll be hard for anyone who's processing it for the first time. It's okay if it's hard. That makes you human and normal, but learn from (laughs) what that experience ends up being so that you can apply those learnings and become stronger, better in that, in that space. Right. That's good. Now you mentioned, um, failure. You mentioned it throughout the book and you really have a great, um, I would say a very healthy perspective that I'm like, okay, that's good. And what you said was real success is not possible without failure in short. Right. And, um, I think that's such a, a mindset like that growth mindset part of the growth mindset for sure uh, a staple a part that's a part of the growth mindset so um when you talk about failure let's back up like before i guess you got to that place did you at one time think or oh, you would just run from failure or not feel that if you attempted to do something um and you failed then that would be like the end of the world so to speak or now felt like how, what was that transition between not going to or like running from failure and now really like running to it yeah yeah i i, I spent a ton of my career and and even outside of my career my personal life uh moving into spaces where i knew i could succeed because i had whether it was through the lens of masculinity or the lens of the way that i needed to show up as a smaller human to get the kind of love that I was looking for from my parents or from society or whatever it might be. I was an achiever. I am an achiever. And in achieving, when I could achieve things, I would get the attaboy, I would get the accolade, I would get the ribbon, I would get the girlfriend, I would get the whatever it might be. And so my wiring for achievement had me focusing my attention on places where I knew I could achieve. Or said another way, avoiding places where I could fail, right? Right. And that um, serendipitously, providence, whatever you want to call it, man, I found myself succeeding in, you know, thing after thing. And I thought that I was gaming the system in a way that was for me until I found myself in the last handful of years in the job that I was working in an environment, not necessarily because of me, but because of the quality of the team that was supporting me, the strength of the films that I was working on and putting into movie theaters, the leadership at the Walt Disney Company, where I could not fail. On the whole, 
failure was not a possibility when you were releasing Disney, Marvel, Pixar, and Lucasfilms to movie theaters. Yeah. You, it, it's just, it was an impossibility. And again, mm -hmm. just a testament to how strong my team was. Mm -hmm. And in the absence of being able to fail, I was guaranteeing myself the impossibility of growth. And if, if you are a person who is shying away from or thinks of failure as something like I did for many years that indicts you as being weak, uh, indicts you as not being enough, indicts you as not being good, then you are choosing to keep yourself from potentially seeming that way or looking that way in the eyes of others. Because really, the aversion to failure is not so much that we don't like to fail. We don't like to be judged publicly for having tried something and failing. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and so I had to like really become comfortable or, or, or stay connected to two big ideas. And the first is that no one, and I mean literally no one, is paying attention to what you were doing. Like there is something <laughs> in ego, there is something in self-image. We have to believe that they, the collective they, are paying, paying attention to what we are doing and they just aren't. I was given this beautiful gift in leaving a job that many wouldn't leave for something that I needed in my life. I needed to go chase growth. Mm -hmm. And when I left, I had concocted this conspiracy theory that the people that I left had been told not to reach out to me, had been told to not help me in this mm -hmm. new pursuit of ours. And they had, they had done what all of us as humans do. They went back to paying attention to the things that were most important to them, they were thinking primarily about themselves. And when you can appreciate that humanity is primarily concerned with ourselves, that's not an indictment on any individual person, it's just a statement of the way people are wired. You can be free from worrying about publicly failing because people aren't paying attention. That's the first thing. The second was I had to, or I had the, I had the gift of sitting inside of a personal development conference and having this aha moment where I saw for the first time this inextricable tie between growth and fulfillment. This recognition that if you are not growing, you are dying. It is, in my mind, it is binary. There is, there, there is not like a just kind of maintaining the status quo. You are either growing or you are dying. And in growth, the thing that comes, the byproduct, the fruit of growth is fulfillment. And here, I'd been on this pursuit for fulfillment in this strange, stretch between my 30s and 40s. I'm hitting this milestone birthday wondering why I've got this great job that from the outside looks great and that I should feel wonderful about but feel empty for not having to use as many of the skills and gifts that I've been afforded. And it was in that, this like, hey, you are not in a position to fail and you in that position are guaranteeing the inopportunity, the impossibility of growth. And if you wanna grow, if you, if you want to be fulfilled, you have to grow. And so now I've just come to think of failure in a, in a totally different way. I don't yeah. like it still. I, I want to make sure people understand. <laughs> don't like to fail. You don't like to fail. You will no. never ever come to liking to fail. But I have come to appreciate that failure is, my friend Tom Bilyeu says it great, it is the richest stream of information that you will ever be given. Yeah. And so if you can see failure, as being for you. If you can see failure as the only way that you will actually appreciate where you should focus your attention to grow and learn, what you can learn from the mistakes that you make, the signals that the customer is telling you in your failure of how you could have met or served them better, all of these things are gifts. 
I, I have sat with our team and had this conversation, which is a, it's a, it sounds harsh, but it is just, it is true. We, uh, at the beginning of this year, we're casting a vision for where we expect our company to be five years from now. And in casting the vision of where we're going, I told our assembled leadership team that none of them with the skills they have today will be at the leadership table five years from now. And that includes myself. And that is not, again, an indictment in any way on any of them not being unbelievably wonderful human beings. It is a statement of fact that the audacity of where we believe this company is going right. is so much bigger than the set of skills that currently sit around the table. That if they, I am interested in sitting at that table, then we're going to have to step into things that we today cannot do and cannot do well, make mistakes and learn from the failures, apply those learnings to now a stronger, more wise, more experienced version of ourselves that now deserves to sit at the table because of how we've grown. That's so rich. That's a, that's a mouthful there. And, and, um, I'm thinking, you know, for our community here, that they're thinking about um, the tendency or, or thinking about the idea of the path of least resistance. And one of the things that you said in your book, you said, push yourself uh, to not default to the path of least resistance. So my question is, with all that you're managing, business, family, marriage, fill in the blank, how do you resist the urge to not resort to the path of least resistance? Well, I mean, it's a very interesting thing because on the one hand, I think the best business operators, the smartest people are the ones who have the discipline to say no to many, many more things than they say yes to. So I want to make sure that someone doesn't in hearing path of least resistance here, say yes to everything, take everything on, try to do everything because that is actually not the case. So here, yeah, right. So this, this to me is more you in focused application of your skills can't mail it in, can't just do enough to get by because this world moves too fast. Your competitors are too strong. Things change very, very quickly. And the idea that you could just do enough to get by and expect that it will still be relevant in three months or six months or nine months is a dream. It's crazy. Uh, and so it's, I think to, to me, it's more, I have, Sometimes I'll do this through physical challenge. Go with me just for a second. This isn't about business, but I do think there's a business (laughs) analogy, right? I have been, and my wife have been, we've been pushing ourselves into these physical challenges Mm -hmm. that go beyond what we believe our capacity to be. And we're doing it to reframe the way we think about our capacity, right? So Mm -hmm. I was told long ago that I was someone who could not run because I'm a six foot four tall human being that tall people don't run because of their back or their knees or their hips or whatever it is. And I just started running and I started running slow and then faster, short, and then longer. And I've now completed, you know, I I did 40 half marathons this last year. I just completed my first marathon. I'm very, very proud of my first marathon. Congrats. Thank you. But in, in running 26 miles or in training for an Ironman, what we're doing right now, or in having done this crazy mountain climbing adventure where we went up and down a mountain 13 times to equal having climbed Mount Everest, 29,000 feet. Every time we pushed ourselves to do something that went beyond what we thought we were capable of physically, 
it changed the way we thought we were capable of physically. When we were required in each of those challenges to tap into something mentally, it trained us, it reframed the way we believed we could handle more than we thought we could mentally. And in business, the idea of, you know, mailing it in or, 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 or you know, coasting or whatever you want to call it, right? It guarantees that you will never reframe how innovative you can be, how creative you can be, how different you can think in real time. Here we are, right? We are in unprecedented times with this virus. And here we are, we're recording this on the 27th day of March. Whenever this ends up coming out and you hear this, things will have already changed. And we are at the beginning, unfortunately, from my perspective of what this might mean impact-wise to business. But in real time, the question that people I think have to ask is how the gift of this impossibly difficult time is reframing how you're thinking about the resiliency of your business or the way the technology could create a different kind of business to the remote population of quarantined human beings who could be the beneficiary of the service that you offer. For our business, right, we have a live events business as a big component of our business and no one's having a live event right now, right? Okay. So we're having to wholesale rethink how can we still achieve some of the hoped for outcomes uh, for our audience in how we wanna try and serve them and have impact with them when there are limitations around the way that some of our conventional businesses traditionally worked. Mm -hmm. Well, if we were comfortable to just sit back and wait this time out and, and be okay with just like kind of hunkering down, we wouldn't be changing the way that we think about the things that we said we would never do, or you know, in this instance, with the like the 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 furnace is 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 shaping something inside of our company, and I hope for anyone who's listening in their company to under the pressure of what is here, think wholesale differently about all of the ways that you reach your customers, how you serve your customers. Um, it's it, it's it, it will I, I I think right like having thought I was never someone who could finish a marathon. Now that I know I can, it changes completely the way I think about my capacity to run long distance. I'm not saying that I am interested in what's going to happen in 2020 in any way, but I am 100% positive that in 2021, I will look back at the way that we got creative as a business and resilient as a business and thought differently about serving our customers during this crazy time. Mm -hmm. And we'll be grateful for having experienced the pain that we are about to go through because of the way that it changed the way we thought about it. Yeah, that's so good. I want to ask a question. Yeah, what? Okay. Um, you just mentioned something about um, how you all started, I guess, at the beginning of the year, how you vision cast for the next five years. So speaking of the vision casting and, of course, we were definitely, it feels like a different time back then at the beginning of the year than where we yeah. are right now at the end of the first quarter. Um, how do you, starting with, I'll start with you and with the home life. How do you two plan um, for your future when it comes to making sure, protecting your marriage, number one, um, and then making sure that um, as a family that you all are continuing to grow with, of course, you have the responsibilities of a growing business um and especially right now things are like you said changing daily so how do you all first and first and foremost protect your marriage and then the family and then um as you and as it pertains to planning yep 
Well, we, we, at the beginning of every year and at the midpoint of every year, we do a little bit of a check-in on our personal values and our relationship family values. It's hard to separate relationship and family because sometimes they blend together, but we make sure that, hey, do we have clarity on what is the, what is the most important thing in our individual values? What is the most important thing in our family values? And then how do the actions of our lives, the calendar in our life, the routines of our lives, set ourselves up to have those values show up every single day? So I have a very simple, pragmatic way of thinking about all of it. It's a math equation in my mind. I call it if then. <laughs> if you say you want to have an exceptional marriage, then you need to actively pursue your wife every single day as though you are not yet married. You have to commit to intimacy on a regular basis. You have to have a standing date night, right? And so we, we have defined that, yep, our if statement is if you want an exceptional marriage, mm -hmm. if you want a relationship that's growing, if you want to, right, then the then start to show up in our calendar, right? So every yeah. Thursday night, we have a date night. And guess what? During quarantine, date night is us getting in a car and driving around. Right, I was gonna ask. Right? Local I mean, tours? <laughs> I mean, we are, we are but, but it, you know, we have, we, have, we have four kids, which is like a thousand kids. And we, <laughs> right, we have a niece. Four equals a thousand. Four equals a thousand. So we, and we have a niece who, who is in town. And like the generosity of her coming to give us the gift of a couple hours of time is a thing that will, you know, remain a constant in the midst of, in, in the midst of something like this. For our children, uh, we have a standing time each night where we uh, sit as a family and have dinner, where we have no technology that's happening. Um, I mean, one of the things that we have done to be super intentional with our children, because they, there are four and because they are so wildly, uniquely different human beings, intentional one-on-one -on -one time with each of them in the place where they have the most personal passion has been a big focus. So my oldest son is really into musical theater. He's, he's really into book sports guy. And so he is the guy who it's like, all right, we're going to meet you in baseball. We're going to meet you in soccer. My, my youngest son, he is the outdoorsman scout. So it's like, we're going to go outside and go on a little bit of a adventure, whatever. Right. My three-year-old Noah is a monster. So we just meet her in Monsterville, whatever she wants, tea whatever. <laughs> tea time is what she gets. That's yeah. right. Uh, so I got to plug this baby in. Hold on. Okay. Um, so Pause, pause. I should have been more prepared. Right. <laughs> this is also part of the quarantine where now I'm sitting in my master bedroom to be able to have a conversation so that these children who are stuck here at home don't get in our way in the middle of our conversation. Um, but I, you know, I, like to the short answer to the, whoops, the short answer to the question is you have to define what your values are and what it will take to make those values come to life. And if your calendar is not a reflection of your values, if your morning routine is not a reflection of your values, if your standing times with your kids don't involve technology free time or connecting one-on-one, -on -one, then the chance that you're going to have your values actually show up in your life are reduced or impossible. Mm, yeah, that's calendar is everything. Totally. I was going to ask you about that too, but that it sums it all up too. And then just um, as we wrap it up, I 
wanted to ask about the roles piece, like how you all, um, not so much in the marriage, but like even more so in the business, like how, since you're in the same business working together, we know that's uniquely different from having two separate businesses. Um, so when it comes to like identifying like who's going to do what in the business, what type of system structure list, how, how did you, how did you decide? Yeah. Well, if you have not read a book called Rocket Fuel, I really recommend this book, Rocket yes. Fuel. It, have you read it? Yeah. I mean, for us, because there is such a difference between her being the creative, the visionary, me being the operator, practical, pragmatic integrator, having someone else put into words the difference between the person who is more the vision and the person who is more the executor, the person who, in this case, Rachel is more the what, and I am more the how, right? Mm -hmm. Just getting the gift of, okay, that is, that's my primary role, that's, that's her primary role. Then we get to go in and say, okay, what does that mean? Like, what does it actually mean? Which teams, Dave, do you lead? Which teams, Rachel, do you lead? And we've been able to go in and really then structure out what lets your superpower come most fully into play and minimize any of the downside of your superpower. What, Dave, lets your superpower come fully into play and minimizes any downside of your superpower. And that way, there's, there, yes, are there times when we have things that, of course, we both jump into, sure. But there are fewer things because defining those lanes of what I do and what she does, defining it clearly for the teams, this is, what, this is what I do and this is what she does, that has been wildly important. And the times, honestly, where there's friction, uh, the friction exists because in this case, friction is supposed to exist, mm -hmm. right? We've, it's taken us some time to get used to this fact but yeah. when you have someone who is in the vision role and someone who's in the, like the, in the what role and the how role, role, what and how are inevitably going to butt heads. And so you have to just get uh, either, you know, someone to help you kind of counsel through, right? Someone else to say, oh, no, no, this is normal. Help you normalize it. Or um, find a way to change your communication style to open up the possibility of the friction being a gift instead of a barrier for your for the way that you'd hope to connect when work is done. Mm. And for us, we were two people who were very much, I would call us codependent-ish before we started working together. We were interested in keeping the other person happy, sometimes at the expense of always honestly talking about whatever it was that was on our mind. And in a business that now has 60 employees, us trying to do as many things as we're doing, wants us now to still finish our day wanting to make out, we do not have time. There is too much at stake for us to not bring things up mm -hmm. the, for the hope of short-term keeping somebody else feeling something. And mm -hmm. so we've had to just find the best possible way to have constructive conflict and dialogue. And so mm -hmm. we spent some time reading a book by Kim Scott called Radical Candor, which I would recommend mm -hmm. if you have not read it or if, if you're not even interested in reading it, she's got like a 20-minute talk on YouTube that is just such a gift. And the simplest uh, explanation is if you care about someone and you are in relationship with them, you see them veer outside of their lane, you see them veer away from what they have pr proclaimed to be their personal brand or their aspiration for how they might show up in the workplace, you have a responsibility because of how you care for them to respectfully pull them aside and have a conversation in real time that affords them the gift of understanding how they maybe are un, like in not being self-aware of how they showed up could have shown up better for the hope that they might. 
And when you're married, guess what? That is, it's, it, not, it's not, that's not fun. That is not a fun thing. But if you can start the, those conversations with the words, my intention is, right? Declare your intention in front of this harder, you know, candid conversation and hope that they can hear what it is that you're trying to get across. For us, as was represented in the book, there are times when our hardest conversations sometimes had to be done in email. And so we have decided, look, mm-hmm. I am going to afford you the gift of accountability or the gift of feedback, but man, this is, a, this is too emotional for us to even have a conversation. So I am going to have you read this. I want you to process it. Go ahead and get emotional and then let that emotion diffuse. And once it is, come back and let's have mm-hmm. a constructive dialogue about this instead of one that is defensive or emotional or has you trying to respond before you're even hearing what I've actually said. Mm-hmm. Um, guess what? Those emails pierce my little baby soul, but they are some of the most important emails that I receive, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, if you are working together and you have not yet found ways to have constructive conversation or constructive feedback, that you have to. You absolutely have to, or you should not be working together because one person may in fact feel like everything is fine. Thank you very much. And the other person is sitting there stewing or resenting and it grows and it festers. And then next thing you know, someone's having a breakdown and it could have been handled 12, you know, 12 hours ago or 12 days ago. If Mm -hmm. just something in place that allowed you guys to have a good conversation. Yeah, that's so rich. Yeah. I was just (laughs) going to say this was, um, I know that for our community, that, mm-hmm. that, that the value that you gave mm-hmm. on this uh, episode um, is going to be so helpful and so meaningful for them. So I just want to say thank you for sharing your time and uh, for coming on and doing this. Yes, and where can they go get the book? This book is available everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it's available everywhere. Uh, I will, I'll say this. I wrote uh, an extra chapter on mental health that you can get over at Target. If you want to hear my voice, read this darn thing to you. It's over on Audible. And there's a conversation between my wife, Rachel, and I as a bonus after that on what it was like to write this book. If you are struggling in some way with finding your why or connecting with a bigger why to help you push through some of the harder times in this business of yours, Barnes and Noble has an extra chapter on finding your why or how I might uh, suggest you find something that is uh, going to get you connected to something bigger. But truly, anywhere, everywhere, books are sold. Yes, love it. Thank you so Thank you, much. Dave and Hans. how can people Thank stay guys. and get connected with you guys? So anything and everything we do is on theholosco.com. So uh, by all means, come and hang out with us. We are just getting ready to start. I will throw this out there. A 100% free, $0 and 0 cents community challenge. It's called Next 90 Days. It starts on March 30th, which is Monday. I don't know when this will come out, but whenever it does. Um, And it's just this attempt for us over the 13 weeks of the next 90 days to stay connected in community And each week, we're going to talk about a different topic. The first week happens to be about perspective. The second week is about joy. But each week, we're just going to stay in community because it feels like we're getting ready to go through something unlike anything in our lifetimes in the next three months. And we figured, you know what? Let's rally these troops. So if you are feeling alone in this isolated quarantine state, you're looking for community, theholosco.com, check it out. Like I say, it's 100% free. There's a coaching you get each week and a whole bunch of other great resources like podcasts and morning, uh, you know, motivation type stuff. 
Yeah, you guys do um, awesome, like amazing work also for the last 90 days as well. And I'm not sure if that's similar too, but whatever it is, I know it's going to be amazing. Very, yeah, so you know what, we always do have this activation called last 90 days, which was this idea like, could we show up at the last three months of the year the way we usually start the first month of the year? But then when all of this virus crisis came about, we figured, you know what, let's just, and it's, it's, it's a little scrappy right now. We're in real time pulling it together, but you know what, yeah. it's one of these things where when you start to see that the community is going to need something as a business operator, the faster you can respond to that need and serve them well. And in this instance, like I say, right, this is just us trying to love on, on this community of ours, mm -hmm. or frankly, anyone who's not even yet in community with us because uh, this is going to be one of those galvanizing, everyone's got to come together, solidarity time kind of times in our mm -hmm. lifetime and uh, mm -hmm. through this high altitude training that we are in, in, going to be in the midst of is going to be something that we cannot, I, I would argue, do, do by ourselves. So Absolutely. if it's not our community, find a community. That's, that's, that's for sure. No, that's it's awesome. It's, it's an amazing community. I can attest to that personally. So right <laughs> yes, thank you for that update because I didn't know that was coming. So good stuff. So Thank you so much again. We totally appreciate um, and are so honored by you coming on and sharing with us just all that wisdom and um, great experience for our married entrepreneurs. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate y'all. Have a great day. Okay, so wasn't that an amazing interview? Yes. Highly insightful and motivational. Yep. Listen, guys, tag us in the interview. Follow us. What in the interview? D you mean like on IG? On <laughs> IG, yes. <laughs> yeah, go tag us with your takeaways, your ahas. Tag him too. Um, let him know what, what you um, have learned from it and, and give him a thanks and a good big old shout out too. And also, any of you uh, who are launching, growing, and scaling your business online, especially right now during this transition, we have good news for you. If you did not know, we want to make sure that you know that we are doing the Love and Launch Masterclass. It's a free masterclass online helping married entrepreneurs really launch, grow, and scale their businesses online together in purpose and power and, of course, in profit. So if that's you and you're ready to get the skills and get the insights that we've been doing over the last seven years working together online, then we are happy to share them with you. Go ahead and snag your seats over at loveandlaunchsecrets.com, loveandlaunchsecrets.com. All right, y'all, until next time. Have a good one. Peace. Peace. Keep living purposefully powerfully and profitably in sync. Peace out. <laughs>
Let's keep it with recording.